I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams, we have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. The curator of horror, Chance Forshee here, to tell you about Ghost Eaters. Hey everybody, my name is Clay McLeod Chapman, and I am the author of Ghost Eaters. Ghost Eaters is all about a haunted drug, pop a pill, see the dead, but once you start seeing the dead, the dead can see you. That is Ghost Eaters, and it's on shelves September 20th from Quirk Books. Want to get haunted? <laughs> horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from, but most only offer the genre as writers and actors. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment. From idea to product, there are many people behind the scenes, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you, as well as contests, movies, panels, podcasters, and much, much more. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. The curator will see you now. Are you looking for conversations with some of the hottest names in horror today, like Eric LaRocca, Haley Piper, Clay McLeod Chapman, Laurel Hightower, Jamie Flanagan, and Allie Wilkes, along with indie horror superstars like Brianna Morgan and Joe Coach? Then you should tune in to Terrifying Tomes of Terror with your host, the curator of horror, Chance Forshe, wherever you get your podcasts. We all have a job in the family, and mine is time management. <laughs> That's going to be a rough job sometimes. Man, you have no idea. Hello. <laughs> it must be me you're talking about. No, I'm just talking about all of you. All of you. Trying oh, to keep all, all my baby ducks in a row. That's, uh, why are you? I'm a baby duck. Yeah. I have a little trouble hearing you, Keith. I hear everybody else, I think. <laughs> you can you can kiss my ass. We just had a whole thing about you. this fucking microphone. And I thought I had it sorted. Let's see. You do now. It's yeah. better. Uh, I think you're right in fucking front of me, I guess. All yeah, right. I was just all over him about his microphone, Dad. So this is not about you. This is yeah. about well, he deserves it. A pre <laughs>
Welcome to Deadhead Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, hi, <laughs> Hey, Joe. Today, we are talking with uh, arguably running my favorite family in the industry, the Lansdales. Three of the four Lansdales. That is Joe Lansdale. Say hi, Joe. Hello. Uh, Casey Lansdale. Say hi, Casey. Hello. Last but not least, the bastard that has good hair and a beard, Keith Lansdale. Say hi, Keith. <laughs> hi, Keith. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've had all you guys on before, and we're not going to go through the basic question of, you know, what got you into horror, this and that. I want to talk about family, because we came up with this idea last year for Meet the Lansdales because... Um, and touch on anything that you guys want to touch on. This is a few points, so grab whatever you're most comfortable with. At first, um, your mom, uh, Casey and Keith, your mom, K- Karen, she founded HWA, which was how? 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 Just how? Okay. It was originally how Horror Occult Writers League, and then it was Horror Writers of America, and now it's the Horror Writers Association. There we go. So that's a big deal. It's not talked about that I personally see, although my sample size is just me. Uh, really enough and i think that there is kind of a lack in just appreciation and education and horror in general so that's something i do want to touch on but first off i kind of want to touch on family and what it means to you um let's start with you casey what does it could be your family it could be in general what family means to you what do you want to talk about well, okay. It's funny you you mentioned about mom um, creating how because I was just on a call with my boyfriend and we were kind of talking about how my mom is kind of everywhere but nowhere. <laughs> and yeah. even how you and you invited her to be on this call, and as Keith said, she's not really one for the spotlight, and that mm. has been always the case. I'm I'm actually cleaning out and going through some of my old books, and I'm finding where she co-wrote or co-edited. And, and I was telling Jonathan all these things on the phone. I said, I keep finding all these things that mom did that I don't think people know. And he said, well, I'm laying out. A, so as a, as an aside, you I think we talked about last time, Pandy Press is happening. So we've got this company. So he's laying out a book for Dell House. And he said, well, I'm laying out this book for Dell House, and, and in the photo credit, it says author photo, Karen Lansdale. And I'm like, see, yeah. she's everywhere. And it's 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 sort of an unbelievable thing that I think we have all taken for granted. And we're just now kind of starting to see how much she contributed and how much she did to, to put us all in a position where we can have a conversation like that. So just a, a segue yeah. off of the, the how moment. But um, yeah, you, you, no, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just, and, and as for family, you know, it, it's it's really great that we can come on and do a call like this and have a fun conversation. And we all have something in common, but we all have our own take. We all have our own thing. And and even as Keith was saying sort of before, he has his um, daytime job that he does that he enjoys. And then he also gets to write comic books and screenplays. And, you know, it, it's just we all have these other interests, but we're tied together by this core interest of creation, of art, of fiction, of of just doing things together as a family, even if it's not a creative uh, venture. Yeah, I got you know what? This is so probably out there out of left field, but. Have you ever thought for you, Casey, have you ever thought that maybe, well, not maybe, that there's a very realistic chance that at your own concerts, uh, for those that don't know, Casey's also a musician, that there's probably quite a few artists that you 
are a fan of and you may not even know are watching you. Has that ever crossed your mind? Um, I don't know that... I don't know that I think of it in that way. It's an interesting question. And it's one I've never been asked before, but what, what I do know is that when I talk to people many, many times, the people that are attending concerts or or interested in the music that I create or, or anything that I create, they are oftentimes artists themselves, maybe artists that didn't um, pursue their, their dream in the same way that I did, but they're doing it differently. They are often a a, a crossover of writers are often musicians. Musicians are often writers and and that can translate into fiction writing that can translate into songwriting. So it it just seems that the people who attend and appreciate the arts, no matter what it is, there is a crossover. Now, of course, there are people who just enjoy listening to music. There are people who just enjoy reading the books, but there, there is a sort of unspoken camaraderie of the people who are also creators. And, and oftentimes you see that, um, you know, even coming to a, a book signing, sometimes the author will be there with a guitar and they'll, or they'll talk about the music that they played when they, when they wrote the work. It doesn't always have to be someone who's actually putting fingers to an instrument. It's sometimes the, the, the soundtrack, if you will, of their work has driven them forward to create this art. And I, I just think there's a lot of cross up and more than I think about, is this person a fan in that way? You're smart. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, Keith. Oh, wait, uh, before Keith, uh, Joe, you were going to say something. I have no idea what it was. Do you? Oh, I, I was just going to say my, my wife also had some photography that was used in a DVD that she misplaced. I don't even know where it is, but there was photos she took in Spain and they were used for some kind of thing that I don't even know what it was because she never really, you know, made much point of it. And I was always so excited about it, you know, but she was like, nah, you know, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, funny. We were, uh, we were, we're doing a doctor visit not long ago. And the guy, um, my, my wife, of course, immediately started promoting me. And that's what she did. She started talking about, you know, I did this and then her kids did this and the guys, Oh my God, happened Leonard. I read all those things. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, you hear about these horror, horror organizations without her, there wouldn't be these horror organizations and even horror writers association led to spinoffs of other organizations. And so it really is that she's had her fingers in that pie a long time. She's written stories with me. She's done anthologies and uh, you know, she's uh, she's very important to this field. There are a lot of kids now that don't really know her, may not even know me, but they have no idea. They're members of HWA. They have no idea that McCammon came up with the idea, Karen created it, put it together, and Dean gave it money, you know, and made it look a little glossier. But they don't even know their own uh, history and legacy, let alone read anything that's four years old, <laughs> older than four years, you know. The thing, and I'm not, I'm not asking for your comments on this, but my my opinion to voice out there is it's worth asking, why wouldn't there be a about us? history found in all that for me i like that you know when i'm learning about something um well, there it. ought to be a karen lansdale award in horror I, absolutely yeah for hwa that would make perfect sense yeah you know, it, ought to, it ought to be a, uh, just for general creativity an innovator know, or, in the field or something that. of that nature but anyway mm-hmm. i agree no that that's yeah hmm, i'm gonna think about that that's a very uh important thing to establish. Keith, uh, let's, let's hear from you, man. 
Yeah, well, I can tell you as far as since we're talking about mom, uh, one of the things she's always been our biggest fan. I mean, they, they anytime we've done anything, the reason why she's in the the margins of everything is because she's always been there making sure that anything we needed, she's there. Uh, she's she's pushed us every single moment. I mean, Casey being a musician is a prime example of that. Whenever Casey was getting her start and, you know, people people didn't know who she was, she would have the CD with her and she'd be at a restaurant and the waitress would come up and she would start promoting my sister right there at the table. And I'm like, Unbelievable. these poor people are just trying to yeah. do a job, but she can't stop. Yeah. She, she cannot stop. She is our biggest fan. And, and it's like having a super fan yeah, all the time about everything. And it is the best thing ever. And mom is like, I don't know. That's that's the reason why. And the most embarrassing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it embarrassed them. I thought it was hilarious. But um, but either way, the point is, is that that's the reason why you find her in the margins of everything is because she's always there making sure to kind of push us through. And uh, she she's just that's just it. There's there's no other way around it. She is she's there because she's always there. And that's why you find her. Um, but yeah, I mean, family, obviously there's a reason that we're all here. Family is very important to all of us. We, we definitely all go our own way, but we absolutely are one very strong unit in the beginning too. So yeah, I don't think there's any, any aspect of us that doesn't have some fingerprint of the rest of us somewhere in there. And it's so funny when things come together like that. Uh, creep show episode is one of my favorite things that that really it really kind of hit that because that was something we as a family you know dad casey and i wrote when we were so much younger and then now all of a sudden it's like a it's like a big check mark on our resume because oh wow the creep show episode people are really people get really excited about that and that's something that we did you know one of the earliest things that we really did together as a family so and i remember that i remember I us do too that's yeah. I'm like, let him hang. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we it's not we weren't like four or anything. We were, I mean, I was 12 and Casey was eight. So we're we're definitely at an age where we can remember those things. And uh it was yeah. quite the experience. We sat downstairs and what was dad's study at the time, one on either side of us. And uh we we mostly got along, but we <laughs> we had a few <laughs> moments here and there where it was kind of like, no, we want this, no, we want that. Uh, but it was it was creative conversations not like you know anything else yeah that was our first real stint into not only creating but also working with each other to do so um i mean i actually did write a children's book when i was much younger but that was more i told a weird story to dad and he wrote it this was the first one that I was old enough to really. And, and your mom wrote the ending. And mom wrote the ending. Another prime <laughs> example of mom being part of the process. Um, but yeah, it's, I was not old enough to really remember. I remember telling, I mean, you know, I told dad a story, but at the same time, this was one that I really remember being a part of was this creep show. Uh, it was a, it was a yeah, big part it of it. It was an elaborate story. It was. <laughs> it was an elaborate story about ducks. And, and it, well, you know, there was a there's a movie that one of my favorites when I was a kid, you know, and is called Invaders from Mars, you know, the original one. And uh, I had I don't know if Keith watched it with me or not. I know I saw I think he did. I but did. at some point he thought we were saying in waiters from Mars. And he didn't oh. know what waiters were for some reason. You know, those little waiters you put on. So it became in waiters from Mars and uh, it was ducks. 
<laughs> it, it, it reminded me of Howard the Duck for some reason. I've never said that to you guys before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was illustrated too. It was a nice little book from uh, Subterranean. Yeah, yeah, I've still got it right over there. I was just looking. I saw it. That was, I think I see it. That's you know what? Uh, buyer complaint. That's that's the one thing I don't love is like big lizard and all those. I'm like, ah, the wife is going to cut off my balls. If I buy a few more. Of these. <laughs> um, so I, man, Brennan, you know, take it away. Actually, I, I'm talking too much, buddy. Go yeah, ahead. I, I just want to, you know, kind of reinforce how much I love the idea of uh, your mom of Karen being behind the scenes, you know, not one for the spotlight, but her fingerprints being on just all aspects of the genre. I would also throw out, especially if we have anybody listening to this who uh, is involved in the process, I know there's a lot of, I don't want to dive deep into it, but there's a lot of talk right now about uh, potential changes in the Stoker Awards process and, you know, transparency um, and, you know, the way votes are conducted. And if there's going to be changes there, it might be a good time to make a push for some sort of inclusion of their Lifetime Achievement Award. I think so. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's put that into existence. Let's uh, make the universe make that happen. Let me toss out two little things about uh, Karen, who we call Bear, her nickname is Bear. Hmm. So, but uh, and I have a hard time saying Karen sometimes. <laughs> I go, oh, and Bear, and people, like, ooh. But I, you know, I don't mind the awards. I'm I'm always flattered when I win. But I don't get up in the morning and think, oh my God, I got to have that Bram Stoker Award because it hadn't made one bit of difference in my career, not one. And does it make a difference? Not for me, it did. And but that's not the point. It's it's an award received from your peers, but. It's getting to where it everything has its own cycles where only certain things are read and only and people are supporting each other as kind of like a cabal, you know, and that happened before. This isn't exclusive to this generation. It was happening before. It's why we didn't want to have one. We thought, why the hell do we need awards for in the first place? But then again, I got to thinking it's nice to identify and to support and give, you know, the people in the, the field uh, some sort of recognition. But anyway, that's the thing. The other thing, too, is that it was my wife that made me sit down and write for three months a story a day that I would have when she came home in, in case I might get a beating if I weren't finished. You know, I didn't <laughs> want to have that. And so I would do a story a day because I didn't know you couldn't do that. And I did 90 of them for 90 days. And they were all pretty dreadful. But what I did is I got a lot of it out of my system in over four years time, because back then you had 10 15, sometimes even more magazines that you could send one story to. So it took four years for them all to cycle. And I, I got the rejection on all of them, and some of them 10 times, some of them 15 times. And I had a 1,000 rejects, literally, to the number, 1,000. And I had a box full of them. And later on, we put some of them inside a limited edition where everybody that bought that edition got one of my rejects from that time, you know. So... uh but she was the one who encouraged me to do that, and it helped me clean it out. It was sort of like shooting shit through a goose. You know, you're getting rid of all that kind of stuff, uh, enough with the constipation. And then you started, you know, I, and I read everything. And so the more I read and the more I got what I'd read out of my system but was influenced by the better aspects of it, the better I wrote. And I owe that to her. So I know I just wanted to add that. I know we don't want to dwell on that exclusively, but I did think it was important. It is, it is because it, it forms you and it also forms your kids and it also forms 
Uh, I'm not trying to kiss your ass, man, but you like King and Straub and all of them. You have liter literature kids. Is that the right word? You have author kids. I don't know how to say this, but people writer. you writer kids, people writer you kids. people you influence. So yeah, that that uh, impression. Well, you know, goes. I never pushed them to be writers. I never ever did. Uh, Casey, from an early stage, you know, her mom used to say her life was a musical because Casey would go to Walmart and stand in the basket and sing, and, <laughs> and you know, she would emote and do all this, and and uh, I would go, Casey, you know, you need to be quieter, mom. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's singing. And she was right. And Casey would sing and people would look at her and she was just a little bitty thing. So we, we, you know, I never thought she would be a writer, a songwriter, you know, I kind of thought could, would be a, a natural thing. And Keith got interested in uh, journalism and he hmm. got a degree in journalism. He worked for the newspaper for four years. And one reason, you know, you don't hear about him as much as you do, obviously me and, and Casey is that because he was doing other stuff. He wasn't doing stuff that was in the, uh, you know, Lime Live. He was working in journalism and he worked as a PR person for that, uh, what was it, a, a sort of uh, tourist railroad uh, over in Rusk. And, and uh, you know, he got his degree in journalism after he had already been working in the paper for four years. And he had his own newspaper that he created. So he was doing hmm. stuff, but it's lately that he has begun to do stuff that's more out in the uh, uh, the ether, so to speak. I did some comics and things like that. And I had a couple. Yeah, that's scripts, right. You did. But um, yeah, I, right. I've really, I guess, gotten the, gotten the bug here of late. And so that's, that's been something that's been in the last few years, just being able to really have a, a desire to do it is obviously very important. So sometimes I felt like I was pushing other agendas, some of those other things like journalism and things like that, that I wanted to make sure that I had under my belt. And then I kind of looked up at one point and said, yeah, I think this is the moment where I'd like to do this. And so um, all of a sudden I started really signing up for, for making sure that was part of my everyday routine. You know, along those yeah. lines, sorry for cutting you off, Casey. No, I just said, yeah, yeah. Um, pandemic sort of changed a lot of what I'm doing, you know, because for two years, basically every gig I had got canceled and, uh, and, and income needed to be made. <laughs> so, you know, writing was something I I'd been kind of in and out of for years and years. And uh, I think because of pandemic, it really pushed me to churn out more content and uh, kind of like, you know, dad was talking about you, you just sit down and you kind of clear out the the junk. And I think that that's really been happening in the last couple of years for me, because it was never something I thought I would do as much as I am doing. But it also is a lot more in line with my lifestyle than the lifestyle of the traveling musician, which I, I also love. And, and that is, you know, still a part of my life. But these last couple of years has really seen a shift just because, um, you know, globally it had to. That was uh, that was an interesting thing that I did not expect at this time. Along those lines, I was just going to say, Casey said, "Clear out the junk," whereas Dad's expression was to shit out of a goose. So <laughs> I just wanted to to point out the difference there. I'm elegant. <laughs> I just wanted to to highlight that a moment. Yeah, it's a nice nice image. Uh, Lee Child, it was elegant goose shit. <laughs> <laughs> come on joe this is serious uh <laughs> I, I, I was just gonna say i saw an interview with lee child saying that he it's his belief that 
writers should start at a much later uh, part in their life. Of course, it's different for everyone, but his belief is that more life experience at a certain age, you know, I think he said 40s or 50s um, is when you really. Oh, hell with that. I'm not hell saying I, I'm, I start writing <laughs> way before that, but. Yeah, it sounds I, like some bullshit. Well, but, but there is yeah. a different you you bring a different world you do. awareness to it. And I think the things that even as a songwriter, the things that I would write now is so much different than when I was 19. So, I mean, even if you don't start maybe getting into that place where you're really feeling like you've hit your stride in your 40s and 50s more than your start. There is some truth to that. I mean, the fact that your that. voice is just very different and, and there's no question the, um, the way that I wrote a lot of things when I was even in my twenties and things like that, it's, it's more substance because I have more experience to pull from. There's no question. Um, before it was something closer to like, a a Will Ferrell comedy, you know, which is very surface level. You know, the jokes are funny, but they're, they're very simple. And then as it got further and further, it realized that it was more story oriented. And I, I definitely feel the shift when I watch some of my, or, you know, read some of my older stuff. And then I, I, I look at what I'm doing now and I can tell that that voice has changed a lot. Um, there are certain scenes that in my original first movie that I cringe at and I'm like, oh, um, and then I watch uh, or I was reading I'm reading a script right now that we're working on. And that's one of the things that as I'm reading a lot of the lines and stuff, I'm like, man, this is this is like light years ahead of where I was with that other movie. And even between just that movie and The Pale Door, which I wrote this other movie before The Pale Door, but I can tell that they're just a different voice, I guess, as I'm going to keep coming back to. It, it really is. It feels different. It sounds different. Writing yeah, specifically you know, thing to... About experience. I'm sorry. I was just going to no, say go another thing about experience. My experience has probably started a lot earlier than my kids. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was uh, doing martial arts when I was uh, 11, 12, 13, and I was doing it with grown men who just kicked the shit out of you. You know, there wasn't any of this stuff about, you know, uh, well, that's child abuse. It was like, well, you're going to get up here. You're going to take it. So, uh, you know, I did that. I worked all kinds of jobs. I grew up poor. No, not as you know poor as some people, but certainly pretty poor. And, you know, my father couldn't read or write and everybody around me, it was, uh, you know, foundries or factories or things like that, which, you know, I'm not knocking. I've done parts of that kind of thing. But what it is, is that I really don't think people grow up and say, I, when I get grown, you know what I want? I want to work in an aluminum chair plant. I just don't believe that's true, you know, unless they want to own the aluminum chair plant. But I don't think people grow up to say, you know, my life is going to be great because I'm going to be or drive a forklift in an aluminum chair plant. People fall into those things and end up doing them. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. I, you and know, I'm just going to interrupt you thought, and say yeah. that someone on this call literally fell in while they were driving a forklift at the aluminum chair plant. This is true. <laughs> I drove the fork, drove it off of the side and stuck the forks in the ground. Oh, and, uh, I you're was, what uh, OSHA makes my videos on the, on the forklift were taken away. <laughs> <laughs> But it makes a difference what kind of experiences you have and when, you know, if you're growing up just to work in, uh, you know, the, to, you know, work in education or something like that, you're going to have different experiences. That doesn't mean they're bad, but it means they're different. I mean, my kids, my wife and I, we did all those things and we thought we're going to make sure our kids don't 
have to do those things. So they're starting from a different place. But on the other hand, they've had experiences we didn't have. And they and we gave them opportunities to have experiences we didn't have when we were young, like travel all over the world and doing things like that, you know. So everybody's different. So it's and like Keith, he's always wanted a job. And then Casey's always not wanted a job. And I've I didn't want a job either. I mean, I had them, but my deal was. Don't get me wrong. I don't want a job, but I don't. Yeah, you don't do want like a have, job. You. I do secure. want to have an income that I can count on. I am a. What fan is that about? Food. What? Tell yeah. me more Healthcare. Yeah, exactly. One <laughs> K. There's some yeah. things that Casey, I need Casey to have. Casey, I'm living on a a shoe shine and a prayer. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's, and that's the difference. Like right there, it's it's more yeah. along the lines of I need a certain level of stability to feel comfortable, and they just don't like yep. to feel comfortable. I've got a Band-Aid sticking <laughs> up. <laughs> they just, they're just flying by the seat of their ass all the time. Yeah, so. you're right. And, and there were times when I thought, whoa, that's tough. <laughs> Brennan, jump in, man. I, I don't know what voice to take. I was I was going to take us back to uh, well it wasn't back at the time but um, the the whole idea of you know when when is the right time to start you know creating whether it's writing or music and you know I, I would never you dare to say there voice. is a right time everybody's experience is different but as somebody who started writing you know later in life um, I, I first started writing in my mid thirties um, I think you know su- such a huge part of writing is being well and widely read. And I feel like yes. you, in at different points in your life, you just digest books and information so differently that I just, I, I don't know that had I tried, you know, writing 15, 20 years ago, that I would have found anything resembling success and, you know, might not have stuck with it. Um, I, I think just my understanding of, of literature at the, and, and, you know, the way I could internalize storytelling, uh, I feel like I started exactly when I need to. And I think that's definitely some people's experience, whereas some people are able to, uh, go up in front of the class at seven years old and bullshit for 20 minutes and the teacher <laughs> doesn't know, um, <laughs> and good for them. Cause I never had that ability, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't you know. Think there's uh, like a funny. certain. All right, you do yours. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say it's funny you said that because when I saw my old first and second grade teacher, she was both of them. I was at her house and she was old, but 80s, nearly 90s. She said, You see that chair up the front of the house? I said, Yeah. I said, You recognize? I said, I think I do. She said, When I wanted to grade papers, I put you up there and told you to tell stories and you'd tell the story the entire class and I, <laughs> I grade papers. And that was the first and second grade. So. Keith? Yeah. No, there's there's no set age. I mean, the thing is, is that you you start writing when you find your voice and anything that you do before that, it's going to be that. Uh, well, let's just say what comes out of a goose is dead. So elegantly put. No, it's um, not, And it's so early, it's cringy, like you were saying. Yeah, no, that's exactly. And, and and really what you're doing when you're reading is you're it's not like you're you're collecting a certain amount of words read and then all of a sudden you can write. You're learning the art of storytelling. You're learning the art of you know, working a story arc, you're learning character development. And so it's not the, it's not the reading. It's the, it's the ability to learn that. And some people like dad is a prime example. He just came out of the womb with understanding story. So um, I don't think, I don't think readings ever hurt him on that, but I think that he's been, he's been on the, yeah, he's, he's absolutely, he's read everything. Um, But the thing is, is that 
he's been telling great stories way before he read everything. Um, he understood storytelling and that is comic book. That is what you pick up from reading is that very act. Yeah. Well, you sir. know, the uh, comic books helped me a lot. I, I started writing when I was four and I didn't write daily. You know, I was a kid, but I wrote a lot and I wrote uh, all the way through up until, you know, I was uh, Karen and I got married. We were both 21 and then at that point, I started writing somewhat, and then I began to write. A, I sold the first thing I ever wrote, which was a nonfiction piece. I sold all of my nonfiction pieces, but I wanted to be a fiction writer, and that took me two and a half, three years, two and a half years. And then I was selling fiction, and then by the time um, eight years after I sold the first thing, I was full-time writer and have been ever since. So for me, I, I, I just came at it different because I was coming from a different place. And I think too, that times were different. And I think stories were helpful to me to deal with a lot of the stuff around me that I wasn't interested in. I had great parents. I was never, um, I, I never felt like I was like an outsider, although I knew in some ways internally I was, but I always was popular. I got along with kids. I didn't get bullied because I was a fighter. I wasn't necessarily a good one at first, but I would fight back. And, you know, I never had that experience of being the, the dweeb, you know, so I have, I come at it from a different background. So everything's different for me than it might be for someone else. You know? Mm. Yeah, that's true. There's, uh, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of variables to why people are the way they are. That's why there's not one right path for being a writer. I think, I think I cut a lot of mine on journalism. I mean, I, I, that's because even when I write, when I send it to dad, there's a lot that he, when he writes it, when he writes back and says, Hey, this is what I like or what I dislike. But one of the things that he said to me multiple times is that it comes off in the same way. Journalistic writing comes off. It's very quick to the point. It, it, it doesn't, it's real lean. And that's the thing is that I've learned to tell a better story, but I really learned to write lean writing for the newspaper, because that's one of the things they tell you is that most people aren't going to read past the headline. And those people are, most of them aren't going to read past the first sentence and what's left. Most of them aren't going to read past the first paragraph. So you learn to get very, very punchy, very, very quick, because I'm sure I wrote thousands and thousands of words that went in the newspaper that only my mother read. <laughs> <laughs> I read them, <laughs> you, you know, and the other thing too, is it's interesting with the kids because Keith has that, that style. And, and, you know, I think journalism can limit you, but I think, I think uh, a lot of things can, but I think it is one of the best, because I also was in journalism in high school. I'm, I, I lettered in journalism. I have a jacket that, that has my, an equal on it. And uh, so I lettered in journalism. So I didn't know I that was a thing. Tremendous amount. Yeah, I, I love the mount from that. That just gets you beat yeah. up now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but back then it didn't. But the thing is, is that Casey, on the other hand, and I, I noticed this when they read, we did a, a reading where all three of us read stories at an event, and Casey's is more poetic without being without being purple poetry. And I think that's because she's a songwriter, you know? So she mm. has that influence where Keith has a journalism influence, and I'm some other kind of influence in some ways, Keith and I think more alike putting stories together, but Casey and I write more alike and, and express things more alike. And uh, I know that when Casey and I were writing some of the Dana stories, you know, one of us could go to the bathroom and the other person could just pick up on it and go, you know. Do you think with that type of lean snap you write in, Joe's is directed at you, but Casey and Keith jump in if you want at any point, obvious, uh, of course, um, brain not working right now. <laughs> Probably. Uh, 
do you think that with lean writing like that, you can get away? I don't know how else to word it. Uh, do you think you can get away with absurd scenarios more easily, more naturally, such as the the drive-in series? Or do you think that is just kind of your execution or are neither of those things true? The trick to writing something absurd is to ground it in something that makes sense. Hmm. And it doesn't have anything to do a lot of times with how absurd something is. Just about any story worth telling has something that you've twisted on its head or why, why tell it. But the thing is, is that if everything else makes sense within the universe, then you can get away with just about anything, which is why one of those moments that end up, I mean, that's why that, that's where that whole jumping shark comes from. It gets to a point where it's like, look, you've, you've had a certain amount of we're, we're willing to come along with you. But now all of a sudden it's getting ridiculous and yeah. it can it could have been absolutely over the top ridiculous. But it's been that the entire time you've been in the story. But all of a sudden it's like oh, that feels a little bit outside of what we're le- we're letting you get away with. Um, and I think that that really has more to do with anything else, as long as it makes sense in the universe itself. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Brandon, you you know, anything- uh, a thing I would say is about the drive in, you know, if you have good characters, people will buy almost anything too. That's the characters seem sure real. Too. But, you know, there's some things like the drive in. It has characterization in it, but the book is the character, the style and the book. You know, an example of that is Kurt Vonnegut. He, he does. He really doesn't have much characters at all. What his strength is is the book is the character, you know, and that's harder to do than you think. And not many writers I know do it. And I, I think many writers get caught up in I'm just going to be scary or I'm just going to be gross. And those are tools, but they aren't. They aren't the craft. You know, the craft is bigger than that. You know, and I think that it's important that people understand that. Um, it really has to do with either, as Keith said, grounded in some points in reality, but also in the characters. But there are some books and stories where the story itself is the character. Yeah, that's really true. Mind blown shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, there are certain things that are only there because, like, um, I'll, th- I'll give you a good uh, example. Like M. Night Shyamalan is one of, you know, the things that everybody, everybody's seen his stuff. Everybody has. Sure. But he's not a great writer in almost any way, but he is a great idea guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is that the ones that fall short aren't because the ideas are bad. It's because he's just not a great writer, but he's got interesting ideas. He does. In- and he's willing to do something that may not be like, you know, completely grounded but the idea is so interesting that you're willing to be there for it so that's a time that i would say that it's not always well grounded it's not really well characters the dialogue's not fantastic but m night Shyamalan is a household name yeah yeah that's a good point um i did like you know, Casey wrote this story <laughs> i was i was reading and uh um as i was reading it the atmosphere was just so thick and the prose was so beautiful and uh you know i would get lost into that and she could have told me anything and i would have believed it Mm. because of the (laughs) of the conviction and the way it was written now that's that's the other tool i was talking about is that if you can do that 
people will go along with you. And if you just have a story where this happens, that happens, that works stronger with idea pieces. But if you have stories that have mood and texture, which is really like a song expanded and explored. And uh, uh, she read something not longer. And I said, God damn, this is literature, you know? And then uh, uh, I, you know, Keith, Keith is, is also a good idea person. I think he, probably a better idea person than me. I, I, I can convince you I have good ideas, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that they truly are. I think Casey and I are similar in that way. You know, we can, we can convince you. I want to tell ideas. you a story. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Keith, what am I talking about? <laughs> How'd that reading go, by the way? It looked pretty fun. You know what? It was, was fun. Fun. it was hot. It was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was hot. And of course, we did run out of time and I had to hold a flashlight for dad to read, which honestly, I know he he just it just drove him crazy. But I thought that was like such a fun moment that I'm going to look back on all the time of like, I remember having to hold the flashlight for dad while he read a story, you know, and like yeah, I, you keep I, I made something the- about how. How how uh, kids talk about they're holding the flashlight for their dad while they're working on a car, which, <laughs> yeah. which I did for my dad many times, and he was holding the flashlight for his dad while he worked on the story or read it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was that was the punchline that I had for a lot of uh, time after that because I just thought it was so funny. So yeah, all those memories that kids have of holding the flashlights for their dad, I got one now too. But by God, mine's different as hell. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the Keith, you know, Keith's humor too in his stories is in the setup, and Casey's is in the language and and in the dialogue. It doesn't mean he, that they don't both do that to some extent, but I've always thought that Keith's what makes his strong is the setup, and it's a lot of what you call dry humor. I guess that's is that the right word I'm trying for that like it's, Seinfeld. It's set up. It's what? Yeah, to some extent. Yeah. To some extent, it's more like the setup makes it funny. And, mm. and and then Casey's dialogue is so witty that I, I think it's funny. You know, I think it's important to be able to do all of it, but you're going to find that there are certain degrees of things that you as a writer can do. There's none of that stuff about you're going to learn to do everything. You're going to learn to do everything better, but mm. you're not going to learn everything. I'm still, I, the, you know, I'll be writing something new and go, oh my God, I just now learned something. I didn't know that. And I've been doing this all my life. You know, and I'm always it's the same way with martial arts. I think, oh, I've been doing that lock, that throw, that strike all my life. And now there's a better way of doing it. Why didn't I see this before? You know? Yeah, that's great. Uh, Brendan, jump in, sir. Yeah, you, you mentioned the drive in earlier. And one thing I wanted to make sure that we brought up is there's an anthology coming out called The Drive In Multiplex, and it's uh, edited by Brian Keene and Chris Golden. <laughs> and I, you know, it's, I, I could spend the rest of the episode just listing off all the contributors, you know, including Keith and Joe. Um, but what I'm interested in is with the variety in names, you know, older names like David Scow, newer names like Aaron Dries, Gabino Iglesias. What yeah. is it about that series of stories that is so inspirational to like, gener- not a generation, but generations of horror writers? I'd love to hear anybody who wants to contribute to take on that that's Dez to answer right there i could give you my guess but he's the man with the answer on this one i, I don't know that i have an answer I, <laughs> I i think i think that i think there was a sincerity of goofiness in it you know i i started telling and i think i actually captured the voice of of teenagers and because you know uh, when i wrote that i was you know i was older but 
I was still not so far removed from being, you know, young in twenties and going to drive-ins, a teen teen going to the drive-ins. And I, I have a great memory for emotion and I can remember how you felt at a time. And, uh, I think that that's an important thing for a rider. And for me, I think that's what the drive-in does. It captures that coming of age, the curiosity, and the, and you thinking you know every damn thing, and then suddenly realizing you don't know anything. This ain't right. This is different. But then you use that to make the book work. It's, it's, not, it's not just a series of goofy events. It's a series of ideas linked by satire and also, there's a whole lot of, you know, I, I think, social commentary in that. And even if you don't get that, the younger readers are always goes, oh, it's so funny. It was so wild. And other people go, oh, my God, that was grim, which is where I was. I thought it was grim, funny, but grim. And the humor made it even grimmer to me. But I thought it was always a statement on, on mankind, on humankind. And uh, I didn't mean I had answers, but it damn sure meant I had questions, you know. And, and I think that that feeling, that novelty of it as well, of being a driving, you can't leave. And you're there with a bunch of adolescents who have been used to their parents solving their major, major problems. And now they got the popcorn king. So I, outside of that, I do, I really don't know anymore. I think it's definitely one of those stories that the absurdity grounded in reality. And that reality is exactly what he's talking about. It's that it's that social commentary of people cannot be left to their own devices when when something like that was to occur i i don't think that you know it, it's it's the most like oh this is definitely something that can happen it's it's the farthest away from that but it's that absurd craziness grounded in what is already us as humans are awful people anyway so uh once you put the absurdity and you you mirror it against what actually we are which is awful awful people um i think that's the reason why it actually sticks with people is because the true horror is hey look at all this scary shit and then it's like wow the worst thing about it is the thing that we actually should be able to control now, the monsters aren't the monsters it's the people right. the humans mm. are the are the worst monster as they say uh, <laughs> I got so many and thoughts. Casey says, I hadn't read that. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the, I read a lot of his work, but it's one that I went, that's not for me. I'm sure of that. <laughs> I, I, I know I all about right. it because I've spent my whole life hearing everybody's take on it. And it just continues to affirm that like, probably not my jam. <laughs> and it's not a feel good story of the year for sure, but yeah. it's uh, and also because it's dad. So it's a little bit weird. You know, it's like not only some, you know, sometimes I, I have, what is the, <laughs> I am highly intuitive and em empathic and, and all the feels. And so there are times you got feelings. I got all the feels. And, and so there are times when stories I think hit me double hard because not only do I, I, feel that way. But because when it's your parent, uh, you, it, there's an, a whole other level there. So when you already are somebody who's sort of a little more prone to that. And I think that those are things that I don't necessarily need to go to that dark spot that, that dad had in his brain. I don't need that in my yeah. psyche. I don't know there's if that's also, there's also a no, lot of moments. It. There's also a lot of moments in reading dad's stuff that I know when I'm reading it, I'm like, I know what the real story <laughs> yeah. of this is. Uh -huh. Like I, uh, dad pulls on a lot of absurd shit that happened to him, you know, throughout <laughs> the years. 
And a lot of people would think, oh, that, there's no way that could really happen. And I'm like, I remember this story happening. I remember how he told the story of it really happening. Um, you know, exactly. one when of the prime connection, it's, it's one, hard. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm not as I'm not as dainty as Casey, I guess. I'm just like, all right, I gotta get through one of I gotta get through one of dad's sex scenes here. Um you know. <laughs> but uh you know, at the same time, there's stuff like the the night hit the rewind button on that phrase. Yeah, the, the night that he missed the horror show is one of those things that's like you know grounded in real reality. And you know, if somebody else read it, they think, boy, what a weird, absurd story. Until you hear dad's real account of it, and you're like, oh wow, that's yeah. uh, that's awful. Well, and I don't yeah. tend to read in by anybody that type of horror. I tend to read more crime, thriller, and mystery, and that's just my preference. Mm. So whether that was written by Joe Lansdale or or another writer who I uh, you know respect and or don't know, I, that's just not my my go to. My go to has always been more of a thriller, something even with a more supernatural element. So I I love horror for the genre, and I love. Um, parts of it, but it's not my go-to reading. I'd rather watch a horror movie and read a mystery. I don't know if that's... Yeah, Casey always said she was Lansdale light. (laughs) I always thought that was funny, you know, because there's a certain truth in that. I I think that there is that connection for maybe more for Casey than Keith of of it being me and having elements of no. She probably recognizes things in my life and things that I'm talking about. She knows how deeply those affected me. Because I'm often writing about things that upset me or bother me or that I dealt with in life. That's, but that's but I, I think the explanation is it's a, I, I find it very upsetting to know how upsetting it is to you. I'm on the other side. I'm on the other side of it. about how upsetting it is. <laughs> I, I like the I like to share in that because I like to know because it's honestly it's it's a window into that in a lot of ways. And so yeah, the fact is. that there's shit that that bothered him enough that he's taken some absurd version of it and and ran with it sometimes to me it's it's kind of like me getting to to know dad from a level that um most people aren't going to have the option to because it's it's something that i know the background i know the person and so once you add that into the works i'm getting something that feels very unique and special um, and it's emotional, I'm, it's emotional biography. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it really is. And the thing is, is that I think that I don't think Casey's any lesser for not being able to do that. I think that, um, Casey's always been the more emotional of the group. Uh, she's, she's always been somebody that when, when things are, um, when things are heated, Casey's, Casey's emotions are always the ones that we hear. And why so she writes good songs um, and it's why yeah, she writes good songs. It's why she does a lot of good things. Well, it's because she, she cares mm-hmm. from a level that um, it, it's really hard to understand if you don't have that level of care. But um, there, there's a reason that I see Casey doing 10 times the work sometimes. And I think that honestly, just to, to pull it all back around, let's get a little, Let's get a little call back here, but I think it's because of that's who mom is. And the thing is, is that mom, yes. the reason why she didn't do a lot of the limelight, she didn't do a lot of the things is because she doesn't really want the emotional baggage that comes with some things that if you, if you have something that is, Good point. 
you know, really going to sit with you, then it comes with a certain amount of obligation. Um, there, there's, there's an easy example, which doesn't really apply, but just so that I have a great example here, it's the reason why people write, 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 and then never share it with anybody because they're so scared of that rejection. Um, they are worried what somebody else might think about their work. And that that's an emotional like block for people. And that's why there's people like dad. That's just like, I wrote a lot of bad shit and I put it out there um, because it is an important part of the process. Getting through that is just as important as anything else. And, and so my, my point to kind of bring it back around to the other way, there is a lot of emotion that comes into this. And there are some people that process it very differently. And I think Casey is somebody who she processes it she can't process that raw from dad because it's such a, a chunk to swallow. Whereas I think it's, it's really interesting. I think she just takes it through a different funnel. I take it through every fiber of my being. And I, <laughs> I, believe I, that. I, I honestly believe that yeah. to yeah. toe. And, and so there may be something, and it's interesting to hear your, your take on it because it, you're not you're not wrong. You're, you're not a hundred percent right, but you're not a hundred percent wrong at all. It's like a, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but I think that's right. It, because they're, the reason you're right is because you're right. And the reason <laughs> wrong is because I also do it with his other work, you know, right. but, well, it, but there's, there's also the other side of things is that, and we all, we all want to know that how does somebody see you through a certain lens? Because even, right even though we are family, there's, there's always, I, I will never know a hundred percent of anybody because that's just who we, we are as a, as a species. But I feel like I can say probably in the high nineties percent for at least everybody that's in our family. And that's, that's what I feel a lot of as far as my own observation with that process. That's well, and you and I are very different in many, Absolutely. very similar in some ways, but yeah. very different in other Kay, ways. Casey and I are, there's no question. And I, it's, it's a, it's a sort of a fascinating um, sociological experiment, but it's like me and my brother, my brother and I are very much alike in some ways, but in other ways, not at all. You know, we're it's, very, it's, very, very it's eerie with Casey and I, because Casey and I both have the absolute same when it comes to problem solving, but her and I, the way we, we get to the answer after we've figured out the problem. Um, we we're both we take two different roads. We both use the same logic to get to the answer, but then we both solve it very very differently. Um, there's there's no question there. Somebody in this family has to have some tact, you know. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. But. <laughs> you know, one other thing I wanted to add, and I think this is important to say, is that I am a great fan of horror. I grew up with it. I watched the movies. I love it. But you know. Horror is not all I think about, and it's not all I write, and I don't consider myself a singular writer of any genre, because I've actually written more novel-wise. I've written far more crime, thriller, historical, uh, Western. I think that's even, it for me, too, is I don't consider you a horror writer. I consider you a, a crime writer who's written some some horror. And, and so yeah, that I've was, written some dark things. Yeah, it, it's, well, I don't know, it's part funny. Of it, part of the focus here is obviously we got we got this podcast that's very horror focused. And so that's who, who's that? Who that? Who are we talking about? But, but my, my point what is, you're saying? That, yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us fit in a box. Um, I mean, I, I've, I can definitely look back at what I've written and a lot of it's horror, but it's because that seems to be what there's a high demand for. And so 
when somebody comes to me and says, hey, will you write this? It's almost always horror because there's such a such a desire that people reach out. The really the other stuff that I write, it's more this is the stuff that I want to write. Um, it's more interesting to me. But I I definitely feel like I probably wrote more horror than anything else. But it's it's never been it's never been my own choice to do so. It just was what was mostly requested. Hmm. Well, Keith liked comedy a lot. Keith and his mom were much more interested in comedy. I do. You know? I, I I'm like, interested in humor more than comedy. I mean, I, I like, like that too. But I'm interested. I like yeah. putting a character in a shitty situation and then enjoying myself out of it while they maybe die. <laughs> You know, yeah, Joe, you, you, man, I'm just going to focus on one point. Uh, the not being pigeonholed. I see that with people in my generation far too often. And I don't ever want to do that um, at all, ever. Because like you guys, I like a whole lot of shit, you know, <laughs> like but a random good example is Benjamin Franklin. Sure, he's known for one thing, but he has, he's, he's to yeah. this day, Without him, this country would not be what it's like because of how many different things he's touched. You know, another good example is. Did like, you know he was in the Swimming Hall of Fame? I did not know that. Uh, what a, what he was a an early swimmer, and he was famous for how fast he could swim and how well he could swim. And he is in the Swimming Hall of Fame, which they they put him in, of course, in retrospect. But uh, and it's like Lincoln's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Lincoln was a great wrestler. I, I think he only lost. That one doesn't surprise match. me at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a big, big man too. <laughs> but he was noted for his wrestling. So he's a, and and then Benjamin Frank was known for his swimming. If you need some unimportant shit, I'm the right guy to come. To. <laughs> welcome, welcome to lunch with Dad. You know, the, there's yeah. one, there's one topic I think I will I'll beat you in, and that's the Korean War. That's about it. Everything else you got me beating, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I had a I had a Daito Ru instructor who was in Chosin. You know, and he was in that, and he said they talk, called it a retreat. He said we were running like hell. Holy <laughs> I remember shit. him saying that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most people are probably gonna say, "What the fuck are you talking about?" So uh, all I gotta say is he's a lucky son of a bitch to even be alive. Yeah, he thought so too. Yeah. Um, Brandon, I got mush brain today. Can you can you help me out here for the hundredth time? <laughs> Um, I, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me, and this was, this was like 10 minutes ago and I'm still thinking about it <laughs> is just the notion of, uh, Keith, you and Casey getting to and doing it in different ways, but just getting insight into, into your dad through his, let's call it literary legacy. I just, I, I love that. I think it's such a beautiful point. I think it's such a, a unique point. Um, it loses a little bit of its luster when we, when, when Joe says, you know, shit, Keith, I was writing like I thought you were dead. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a way to get to know, uh, a parent that most people don't have the opportunity to get. So I, I do want to, we, we've touched on this a little bit, but if you have anything to add, I want to know what it was like to grow up in a house that was just so creativity based. I mean, like speaking for me, my dad was an engineer, you know, I could, you could read his business card and his job title would put you to bed at night. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys, you know, just from, you know, with friends, you, you know what those households are like, where it's, uh, it's work. You know, the parents are are going to work and you didn't grow up in that atmosphere. What was that like? 
Well, I'm, I'm going to take this one because this is one of the favorite questions for me. It was just like it was for you. It, it was just how it was. We didn't, or at least I didn't think about like, oh, my parents are doing this different thing. It's just, that's what my parents did. I, it never occurred to me until I was out of the house and older. So it, it was, it was no different, I think, than anybody else's experience as a child in terms of, um, you know, your parents have a job and they they go to the office or the room or whatever it is and do the job. And then when the job is over, we're, we're home. So we've, you know, whether that was in the, the study downstairs or at the office, at the college or whatever it is people are doing, uh, clearly I don't have a job. This is whatever people go into their workplace and they do the business to get them a paycheck. Um, yeah, it's it's just wasn't bizarre. And then, but as you get older, then you kind of see. And and I think more than anything, what you see is how available they were. So my mother uh, was the first female dispatch at the fire department. She also worked dispatch at the police department. And uh, she retired when I was little. So when I was young, she was still doing um, 24 on, 48 off. So she was doing that, but I was so little, I don't remember. So my only memories are that my parents were always home. And if I needed something, they were available. And I think that is what stands out for me more than a job or any kind of other feeling was just, I always knew that if I needed something, they were both there. Yeah, there's there's some definitely strength in there because there's the, well the biggest problem is is that we just didn't have any other way to measure it and, and right. Casey's right we we knew nothing different I mean other people's parents went to work but it's just like Casey said we we know that Dad went to work and um, you know we we didn't really think much about it I didn't realize what was going on until I was in I don't remember exactly what grade level but it was somewhere pre-high school grade and dad had written some of the Batman animated series and they asked him to come in and talk about it and I thought oh yeah that'll be fun and then everybody in there was losing their shit and I did not realize like oh this is actually like a big deal to people people really (laughs) are like losing their mind there they are just like they can't stop asking about it and it's one of those things that it was the first moment that I realized that dad did something that, that wasn't common. You know, I mean, uh, everybody had a job, but dad did something that not a lot of other people did for as far as I knew, everybody had somebody that they knew that did that, but apparently that was not the case. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a prime difference there. And And Keith started going to the movie sets with me, like Bubba Hotep and mm. things like that. And, and the little small one, like the job. In fact, he had a little role in it where yeah, he walks yeah. off the bus. Uh, but, you know, yeah. he started going to those things, too. And I think that also probably began to kind of go. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It was it was at that moment that I realized that it was a very different thing. Um that, that was one of the whole things that when I was growing up, it just did not register. And then right. all of a sudden, it just like. Oh, this is this is really different. And yeah, dad's dad's right. Going to those movie sets, that was also a big, you know, because people it was kind of and honestly, before that, like the movie sets are a great example. But I would say even before that, going to conventions, Mm -hmm. um, people coming up and just being starstruck and you realize that like what he was doing was was important to people that we didn't even know. 
Um, you know, and that was that was kind of the very first real glance into it that I had was conventions and then movie sets. And then all of a sudden realizing that people were just like they just couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. That's really exciting that your dad does that. And I just thought, yeah, no big deal. Or, or as Casey always said, just go write something. Let me tell you a little something behind that. that when when uh, Casey <laughs> wanted something like she wanted a dress or whatever it was, she, you know, I'd say, well, we're going to, we have a, we're going to budget that right now. You know, and she go, well, dad, just go write something. <laughs> yeah. So when she's that easy. Older, she dad goes, he writes, they send us a check. And what's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. he does it to me. I'll be complaining. He'll be like, well, why don't you just go write something? <laughs> but there was also things that I, I definitely know. And I'm, I know that there's a version of this too, that goes with Casey and the music and stuff too. But there was things that I didn't realize the one, I mean, this is dad's craft. He loves talking about it. I mean, he loves talking about a lot of shit, but he really loves talking about the the storytelling in general. So he and I would watch something. And if, if it was something that, you know, maybe I liked, maybe I didn't like, he would say, well, what do you like about this? And, you know, we'd start talking about the actual story breakdown, story arcs. I didn't realize what the hell he was doing at the time. Part of it, I think, was he just wanted to talk about the stuff. But part of it was also I was getting a master class and learning storytelling. And I would imagine that there are people that would literally kill for the chance to have some of the stuff that we grew up that was just normal conversation. So that's not to say, I mean, as normal as a lot of things were, there was something there that definitely planted early seeds that I'm sure uh, Casey has. You realize it later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you were out of the house, you because, you know, obviously you're um, a a few years ahead of me. Much older. Much older, much older, much, much but older. Extremely older. That, that's not what anybody who sees us says, uh, but all right. So you were a few years ahead of me. So you were out of the house. Um, and I think that was about the time when dad started really getting invited as an international guest. So yeah. I was still traveling with parents. Well, yeah. And so I was seeing also sort of this global response. And I think that's when it really hit me was you start seeing people who this isn't even their first language and they're, they're starstruck and they're, they're sort of taking this all in and, and you just sort of watch that and you go, Oh, this isn't just a thing in our town. This is a thing that people Mm -hmm. all over the world are, are sort of looking at And and I see it happened the other night. I'm, I'm home visiting family these guys, and uh, I'm at my place right now. And I, I went out and to have dinner with some friends, and I saw somebody there, and he was kind of lurking around, and you know, and so I'm sort of watching. I was like, "What's up, man?" And he came over. He's like, "All right, I didn't want to do this, but you know, they told me not to come over here, but I, I just love your dad's work, and they said not to bother you with it." And and it's funny how many people approach it that way. And I always say, <laughs> you know, thank you. First of all, I hate to think that my family spent their whole life and career on something that nobody gives a shit about. So thank you for that. Exactly. And and also, you know, your support is what allowed me to have the life that I have. So I'm happy to hear that you have had a good experience because of something connected to my family, because that's why I get to live an interesting life every day. So it, it is funny. And, and I guess there's even my, uh, boyfriend when when we first met he was saying that um he told somebody that we were dating and they were like oh my god ask her about her dad and bubba hotep and something and he was like i'm gonna wait and see 
my dog is upset. And I asked, uh, why did you do that? And he said, well, because people have tricky relationships with their family. So in, in this case, we all are very sharing, but you you not only see that the work has impacted, oh, baby boy, but you get to see that it has brought us closer together as a family. And, and that's another element of what this has done because we get to do things like this. I mean, you're how many people have their parents in the same field, in the same way, and in the same sort of support system. I, I mean, I know a lot of people do what their parents do, but I feel like this is a different little subset of that that allows us to have a different connection than a lot of families. Oh, I'm definitely. Gonna is. My puppy out. Um, audio listeners are going to be like, "Who the hell is she talking to?" <laughs> <laughs> that's her that's her invisible friend we just pretend it's a dog <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's a good story uh yeah go ahead. yeah oh okay yeah. she 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 broke it she brought the dog in that way i have to uh, admit there's a dog yeah <laughs> yeah we do you, what dog you, you know the thing is too is that when keith keith was a big bruce campbell fan and I think it was also a, a revelation when he went on the set and saw, look, this guy's a guy. You know, he's he's an actor, but he's a guy. He's also a very good guy, by the way. I like him a lot. And seems uh, like a really you nice know, guy. and he got to meet Bruce. He got to meet Ossie Davis, which for me was the thing. I mean, I mm. was like, holy shit, Ossie Davis, holy cow, you know. And that was my big moment. And uh, and then Keith, when I think when he met Bruce, he you know he. Was his, that was his favorite actor at the time. And I think it really struck him that, okay, these are all people doing a job. Yeah. It's, and we're I mean, all connected a, in some way. I've met a lot of famous people that, by definition, but the real truth is, is I, I got real starstruck meeting Bruce because that was, it was like this, oh my gosh, that's, he's the coolest, you know? I mean, I, I like, <laughs> yeah, you, want to, you want to talk about movies and things that uh, are more my, my sort of thing, things like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. I like that absurd humor that's in that, in that horror genre. So um, that's, that's definitely the stuff that really hit me the most, I think. So meeting Bruce was definitely and he's a decent cool. human being. He's really a good person, you he know, is. and, and I, really great guy. I really admire Bruce and, and we're friends and I'm, I'm happy for it, you know, but, uh, yeah. And to, to talk on that, you guys, um, aren't gonna be treating people like, uh, for example, if you were to be raised in one set of social groups, um, you guys have a global experience. You're, you're going to understand that everything's not about Americans or, or whatever it is. Right. Uh, that's a great right. lesson. Uh, you guys are really lucky to yeah, have and that. You know, yeah. And Casey said it more eloquently, but I, I think it's true is that I used to tell the kids, you remember these people put beans on your table. Yeah, and, you know, I, I would sign books till the cows came home, but I would always say these people put beans on your table, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's kind of odd, you know, we, we used to tell stories, but these kids, sometimes the, their bedtime story was old radio shows, old classic radio shows. So they were learning story. Yeah. Even none of us knew we were doing that really, you know? Yeah. We, dad and I used to listen to a lot of those radio shows and it was like a big part of the end of our day. And so, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, storytelling has always been a part of something, you know, it's, it's, it's every single factor but yeah just to touch on that other thing dad just said it, it's something that he's always not that we've ever felt otherwise but it's always been real like nice to hear that dad has stressed 
multiple times that without these fans, we're, we're nobody. Mm. We, we are not, yeah. uh, we're, we're telling stories for ourselves, but at the end of the day, if we're the only ones doing it, then we can, we don't get to live this life. Um, and so there's, there's no question. And so when people come up, it's, it's one of the things that I've, I've done multiple times, which, um, and I'm sure Casey's spotted this several times too. Um, as you may have guessed when uh, dad is anywhere, he's talking. And so he'll be in, (laughs) he'll be in the middle of the conversation because there is no end to the conversation, but there'll be somebody who starts to get closer and closer, holding a book and a pen. And you'll start <laughs> to spot them getting, you know, closer and closer. They're waiting. And, yeah. And they're, they're waiting patiently. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, are you here for a signature? Uh, yeah, that's okay. I'm like, dad, because there's not going to be a, a, let's get to the end of this conversation. You have to, there we go. There's a prime example for those of that can't see. Nice. Uh, but yeah, no. So, and, and that's, and yeah, that's you, something that you start to spot is people that start. And I always make sure that they, they are, they are seen that dad is there to sign because we know how important it is to all of us that fans are there because they love what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. I, and you know, the, I have an entrepreneurial story to tell. Uh, Casey started going to conventions. She went more regularly than Keith. And so everybody knew her. I mean, all of these people, she's grown up with all these booksellers and writers and, you know, so on and so on. But what she did when she was young, she, she had a tooth that she lost. So she went around to all of these people at their tables and different things like that and convinced them to give her money for for her losing her tooth like a fairy. But she would always <laughs> keep the tooth. And so she would do that. So she would make quite a bit. And at some point, somebody wanted the tooth. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. But they, I've they always had a side hustle. I was about to say, this is, this yeah, always is, what, had a side hustle. This is what normal people call con artists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I to back your <laughs> that's hilarious. A child uh, grifter. To, to back your point up, Keith, I had a five I planned out a five minute Zoom talk with your dad a while ago, and that was that literally was uh it turned into an hour conversation talking about <laughs> different different books and such. And it was fun, but um uh, at one point my wife is looking at me like I'm like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> who do I say? Who do I disappoint? My wife or Joe? Unfortunately, I do got to wrap this up, guys. Uh, so if you're okay with it, let's get to those wrap up questions. Yeah. All right. So the easy one, where can people follow you guys and your dogs? <laughs> well, we're, we're all on Twitter these days for sure. I'm less on Twitter and more on Instagram, but there I'm everywhere. I'm on Instagram. I have a fan page too. On his Facebook is what he's referring if to. If you can Google, you can find us. Let's put yeah, it Yeah, we're not hard to find. All of our stuff is our names. So, um, except for Casey, who's like Casey. I'm not on the normal normal Facebook page. I'm on a specific version of it. You know, it's I'm the on fan bi- page. I mean, I have one. Right. Yeah. Fan page. So, and then I also have a website www.joarlanzo.com. That's why why I'm not on Twitter because I got hacked and my I had a verified account. It was stolen, and then now I can't get it back. So I'm against Twitter. So anyway, you can find us. And Leo has a my dog that I'm holding. For those of you can't see, he has an Instagram account. He's not very active though. That's (laughs) well, you know, a lot of people used to steal and still do. I guess if she gave them the opportunity, still would steal Casey's photograph and put it as their photograph. 
and you start looking okay. through there and go, damn, that looks like my daughter. That is my daughter. You know, and it would be somebody else's name that they were using, but they were still, I mean, I, I, you know, I really hate all that stuff. I do it because I, I, I want to stay connected to readers, but uh, I really don't like it. And I wouldn't do it if it weren't for that, because there's just so much horseshit that goes on with it. And there's a lot uh, of creepy people too. Social, social media in general is, is, you know, such a, pain in the ass but it's the only way to be connected to the people that we want to be connected yep. to so it's it's such a like it's the reason that we're st- all still on it because um for every awful encounter on any of those there's there's great ones too and yeah. so you just can't you know you just can't walk away from that agreed um anyone have final thoughts whoever wants to jump in i just thank you for having us all on i know that's a quite an undertaking you're a brave man so and and brennan i know uh you you've been a part of this on several of the other interviews and i just appreciate both of you guys taking the time and despite you know, not being able to get a word in edgewise this yeah time. man it, that's what i'm trying to say but um we, it's we nice. know what we're walking into when we have lansdale <clears throat> when we have one lansdale on never mind three <laughs> but we appreciate it you know it's it, it really is nice and it's it's nice to get to know you guys. You know, I feel like I'm starting to get to know you too as we have these interactions and you know the the circles we travel in are small, so it's it's just nice. It feels good to know that we're all part of the same team. Absolutely. Yeah, uh we generally love you guys and really enjoy talking to you. So, uh if that wasn't if that wasn't creepy enough, then wait until <laughs> next time when we can talk. <laughs> um I just want to say that if uh, you haven't listened to this, Bubba Hotep was brought up. That's my personal favorite. Probably will always be my favorite by you, Joe, because it's just so it's so out there, but it's so um, touching. Not to say that the others aren't, but um, it's a special story. So for those that haven't seen it or the movie, read it or seen the movie, check it out. Uh, Brennan, any final thoughts? Joe or Keith, anyone? Any final thoughts? Just thank you for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to thank you because I don't want to be part of that group. You don't have to. You can say, fuck you. Uh, I'd be like, I would just, say, say very good. Keith. I'm just kidding. No, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. Uh, Brendan. Uh, you know, echo everything. Thank you guys for your time. I learned two things tonight. I learned that uh, Ben Franklin was in the Swimming Hall of Fame, and I learned that there's a Swimming Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm glad that's your takeaway. I'm a richer person now. Very good, sir. Next episode is 156 with Daniel Cross. Cross? I said it wrong the first time. Cross. Did I say it right any time? Cross. Nailed it. All right. Listeners, you have many choices in the podcast. Thank you for picking us. <laughs>